Lord, we, we just thank you so much for these children. Um, we thank you that you have blessed us with them. We thank you for the time that we have with them. Um, I pray, Lord, for one thing and one thing only, that you fill them with your joy, um, that you fill them with the joy of knowing you, of walking with you, and the joy of, um, of being in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. Like Brother Steve said, my name is Ruben Amlalo, and I am the new youth ministry director here at Faith Christian Fellowship. Um, I've met most of you, a lot of you guys, and um, I'm very privileged to bring you the word today. Thank you for all your prayers. I feel them when I'm preparing, and uh, I, I hope you guys continuously pray for the people who bring the word, because it's very important. Amen? Uh, my wife, Goda, is going to actually read the text for us today um, from First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1 through 22. No, you know. Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, as, um, as I preach your word, I pray that you will speak through me. I pray that you will prepare your people's hearts to listen. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us all with joy uh, and that we would know the joy of worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, um, is it good? <laughs> My name is Ruben Amlalo, and I'm the new youth ministry director. Um, I get the privilege to close our sermon series in First Chronicles uh, today, and um, and today I want to talk about joy in worship, um, specifically joy in in giving, in worship, um, as uh, as our worship leaders often tell us, uh, generosity and giving is actually a part of our worship, um, and today in our text we actually see a lot of that going on. So my hope uh, is that from this passage, we will all see that God is filled with joy when his people worship him with joy. Amen? So God is filled with joy when his people worship him with joy. And I have, um, I have two main points, but it's divided into three parts. Um, so my main, two main points is from the first part of the text, which is the provision that David makes for the, for the temple. And then the second part is the prayer. Um, that David makes in response to the provision that he sees. And I've divided the, the, the prayer into two parts, which is praise for a holy, a holy God and plea for holy assistance. So in chapter 17, David had it in his heart to build a house for God. Um, but God told him no because he was a man of war. Yet he gets the second best thing. His own son is going to be the one to build the house. But David tells us that his son is young and inexperienced, so he'll need some help. Um, and help he did. He tells the people that they would need to help him um, to actually build the temple for God. Um, now, there are three separate collections that David actually um, gets for, for building the house. And the first is uh, it's actually from uh, chapter 22, which we looked at last week from Pastor Craig. 
Um, and, and actually, for that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few, few verses in that for this section. But it's going to be from the New Living Translation because the ESV uses the word talent. Um, and I don't, we don't really, I don't know if you guys know how to measure talent. I didn't know how to measure talent. So I had to go through the New Living Translation, and it gives us in pounds and tons. And I think a lot of us can understand that. Um, so I'm going to read. So the first, first collection is from First Chronicles 22, 14. He says, I have worked, uh, I've worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold. 40,000 tons of silver. And so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I've also gathered limp, timber, stone for the walls. Though you may need to add more. <laughs> Can you add more to that? <laughs> right? Um, and the second collection is from chapter 29, which you read today in verse 4. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, I am donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the house. Now, this is David's own wealth, right? His own store. And lastly, it's uh, from the leaders, he says in verse uh, 7 and 8 of our chapter today, for the, co- collect- for the construction of the temple of God, they gave 188 tons of gold, 10,000 coins, uh, gold coins, seven, 375 tons of silver, and 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. Now, a ton is 200, I mean, uh, it's 2,000 pounds. That's a lot. That's a lot. See, so in approximation, David has actually collected, including his own personal wealth, 4,300 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 40,637 tons of silver, plus iron and bronze that cannot be numbered. See, there are, three, there are at least three reasons why David should be patting himself on the back right now. The first is that the amount of generosity and willingness on the part of people is a direct reflection on the people's love for him. Okay? And secondly, the amount of generosity and, and, uh, and collection is a direct reflection on their love for his son. And thirdly, and probably most importantly, the amount of generosity and the willingness on the part of people is a direct reflection of his leadership. See, the people have gotten very rich under David. Things look very good. Israel has done very well for themselves. Israel is indeed a great nation. <laughs> this is what I mean. So in the book of Exodus, when Moses is commanded by God to actually collect money for the building of the, temple, of the tabernacle, um, we are told in Exodus chapter 38, verse 24 and 25, um, and this is, again, New Living Translation because the numbers make sense. It says, The people brought special offerings of gold totaling 2,193 pounds. That's a lot, but compared to 4,000 tons. Okay? Things look very good in Israel right now. So in terms of prosperity, David has indeed, again, turned Israel into a great nation under his leadership. See, but that's not what the text focuses on. That's not what the text focuses on. 
Now, if this happened in our economy, Wall Street Journal will, I mean, every, every newspaper will be raving about how great America has become. But that's not what the Chronicler fo- focuses on. What he does focus on is the joy and the willingness on the part of the people. The joy and the willingness on the part of the people. See, we are told in uh, 1 Chronicles 29, uh, verse 9, it says, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. See, we know the author of Chronicles is writing to a group of people who actually just came from exile. God had stripped them of everything. See, this is a few years after David, and things were not looking as great as they used to. So the temptation for the people will want to actually go back to the times with David. That was the golden years. It's actually, in, in the Jewish calendar, it's actually called um, the, um, the golden years of David. Things looked really good, okay? But at the same time, um, there's an encouragement, which um, there's encouragement that, that the joy in worship is not when we give God what we don't have, but when we give him exactly what we have with joy, Okay? This passage is an encouragement to them and to us that true joy in worship is not when we give God what we don't have, but what we have with joy. Not only that, true joy in worship is rooted in who God is, which brings me to my second point. And that's, uh, that's, that's our prayer, uh, the prayer that David prays. Now, how do you give to a God, right, who has everything? How do, you give to a, how do you give back to a God who gave you everything? Why is joy so important in our worship? See, David prays in verses nine, uh, verse 10 um, and 17, verse 10, sorry, 10 through 17, I'm sorry. Um, he prays in front of the whole assembly. God is great. God is most powerful. God is glorious. God is victorious, majestic, since everything in heaven and on earth is his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is his. Everything you own is his. Every ounce of gold in this world is his. We get to give it back to him. It's a privilege to give back to him. Let that sink in for a second. Because I think a lot of us, whether it's our talent, our money, our time, our energy, we forget that it doesn't belong to us. Not a second belongs to us. It's all his. In verse 11, David says, Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. 
And now we thank you, O oh God, and praise your glorious name. See, God doesn't need our money or our time or our energy nor our worship. We get to worship him. See, David feels a special joy, though. Not, not because he gave the most amount of money. Actually, it's interesting. David gave more out of his own personal wealth than all the leaders combined. <laughs> not only that, his son is the one who gets to inherit the kingdom. See, David feels a special kind of joy, not only because he gets to give the majority of the money, and in the temple there'll be a plaque in this name that says David gave the most amount of money. But he rejoices that he personally gets to give so much back. Now you got to remember, in chapter 21, right? David sins against God by pride in his heart. 70,000 people die. And now he gets to give back to this God. He's not playing with God. He knows who God is. God is majestic. He's glorious. He's holy. And I get to be in a relationship with him. I get to know him personally. I know his eyes are on me. That's reason to be joyful, if there ever was any. We get to worship God, family. We get to worship him. In verse 14, he says, But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given to you. See, there's a brutal honesty in David about his own privilege that we all will do well to actually take note of. See, when, when was the last time you recognized your talents and abilities that God has given you and frankly took inventory and said, I have so much. And I have so much that I'm able to give so much back in the service of the kingdom of God. Or are we often thinking of what we don't have and what we cannot do? See, for a church like Faith, which is committed to reconciliation and justice, we need to seriously know how much we have been given and how much is required of us. If we want to pursue reconciliation and justice with joy. If we want to do this work with joy, we have to know what God has given us. Because guess what? It's a privilege to give it back to him. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be proud of your achievements or you should feel guilty for your privilege. That's not what David is doing. Um, see, if your privilege was gained by justice and righteousness, enjoy it. Go ahead, enjoy it. God gave it to you. Just like he gave it to David. But at the same time, remember the Proverbs that says, riches gained by injustice would not last. How you acquired your riches matters. Now, you might say, thank God, my job is full of justice. <laughs> I do good work, okay? Thank God. Now, let me ask you this. How are you living? 
as you do your justice work? How's your heart? It's interesting to note that even though David was a man of war who, who plundered other nations for his wealth, it's clear that God doesn't rebuke him for that. But God does rebuke him for his pride, his lust, and his murder. See, God does rebuke us for something. See, a lot of us get very angry about injustice, and we should. Because that's an offense to God. Everything belonged to him. And injustice is not a part of the equation. So we should get very upset about that and angry about that. But you also, do you know what else is an offense to God? Lust, pride, anger, murder. That's an offense to God too. It's not only about those out there. It's about what's in here. See, it's not, it's not what's out there that defiles us. It's actually what comes out of us that defiles us. I was watching a documentary on the 90s, uh, on Friday, actually, and the scandal of President, uh, former President Bill Clinton came up, um, scandal between him and Monica Lewinsky. Um, and this was when he was at the height of his career. I mean, the economy was booming. Things looked good. Okay? Now, which, which reminds me, we should, be, we should come on the 11th at 5 p.m. to pray for our leaders. See, the president had an advisor for everything. Everything. It seemed like he lacked, he lacked an advisor for his heart. And that's where we come in as the people of God, to intercede for him, to pray for him. So whether you like our president-elect or not, come, pray for him. We're commanded to pray for him. That's what we can do. We, we can't change his heart. We can't change anyone. We can hardly change our own hearts. See, but David sets a great example in his prayer, the kind of heart we would need if we are going to actually have joy as we commit to kingdom work for justice and reconciliation. He continues in verse 17. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. Which brings me to my last point. Um, have you ever asked yourself this question? What brings pleasure to God? See, if life is a test, how do I pass? Does my good deeds have to await my bad deeds? If so, how do I know if I'm passing? How do I know if my good deeds are outweighing my bad deeds? You're just going to take a chance and get in front of God and, and tell him, hey, God, did my, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? I hope not. That's a, that's a big chance. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it at all. See, God, God wants us to joyfully worship him with our wealth and our time and our energy and our talent. For only one reason, his pleasure. His pleasure. It pleases God. It makes him happy. He gets joy. He dances over us. When we are filled with joy as we worship him, 
he gets joy. I mean, what spouse in here does not see the joy? What father in here does not see the joy? Or what child in here does not see the joy in their, their father? And, and get happy about that. There's nothing better on earth to know that my father in heaven is pleased with me. Nothing on earth is worth it. No sin is worth that. To break his heart. But to know that I please God. And David says, I know. I know you test the heart. And I know you take pleasure in uprightness. See, he doesn't want us to be good just for goodness sake. You're going to start hearing, <laughs> hearing that um, as the season comes. But he wants us to be good for the sake, for his sake, because it, it brings him pleasure. Uh, you see, because God is holy and we are not, we actually need his help to bring him pleasure. So when I got, before I got married, I got into this habit of actually reading books about marriage, listening to sermons about marriage, probably listening to more sermons and read more books than any single guy should. Um, and I got into this bad habit of telling Goda before, I, before we actually got married how she should feel loved very bad habit. And she'll tell me what I was doing that didn't make her feel loved, but it didn't matter. I'd read the books on it. I didn't need her help. <laughs> See, it's, it's equally as silly for us to think we can tell God how he should be loved. It's very silly. It's, it's, actually, it's actually an affront to God for us to tell him how he should feel loved. So we need his holy assistance to actually please him because he's a holy God. And that means joyfully, regularly reading your Bible, joyfully, regularly praying, joyfully, regularly fellowshipping with the saints, joyfully doing it. See, David continues in his prayer in the second half of verse 18 and 19. He says um, that God should keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of his people and direct their hearts towards him, Solomon 2. Now, you might ask, what kind of purposes and thoughts are, is, God, is David talking about? And is this joyful willingness in worship? Now, some of you might also notice that the prayer sounds like a psalm. Um, and this is because for the psalmist, when he lacks joy, he actually thinks it's a problem. Let me say that one more time. Lack of joy in worshiping God is a problem. You won't want to be in a relationship with someone who's not happy. And God doesn't like that either. Fight for joy, family. <laughs> Fight for joy. Now, this is how seriously, actually, God takes joy in our worship. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, um, 36 and 20, 47, 
before they went into the land and God told them, when you get into the land, you're going to have so much stuff, you're going to be tempted to forget about me. When you get into the land, you're going to have so much stuff, you're going you're gonna to be tempted. You are. I'm warning you right now. You're going to be tempted. Because there's a lot of stuff over there when you get there. There are going to be trees that you didn't plant that have food on it. There's going to be houses that you didn't build and you're going to live in them. The milk is flowing with milk and honey. Grapes the size of your hands. It's going to be amazing. But don't forget about me. So in verse 20, I mean verse 36 and 47 of Deuteronomy, God tells them, the Lord, well Moses tells them, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have, have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Because of the abundance of all the things, therefore you shall serve your enemies <coughs> whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in lack in everything. Now you might say, see, this is why I don't like the Old Testament God. He's just angry all the time. All right, let's go to the New Testament. In chapter 5 of the book of Acts, we meet a couple who begrudgingly worship God. They tested the Holy Spirit by their begrudge worship, by not giving willingly. Don't, don't play with God. He didn't ask you to give. He's not forcing you to give. You get to give to God. So he strikes them so that all the church may know you don't mess with this God. Now, I don't mean to be morbid because the sermon is supposed to be about joy, right? <laughs> joy and worship. Um, but that's a, that's a stark contrast to the first part, right? Where Chapter 4, you read about the believers selling their stuff joyfully, right? In Hebrews, um, he tells them, you, you, willingly, you willingly associated yourself with those who were in jail. You willingly gave up everything. Paul tells the Galatians, you would have plucked out your eye for me if, if I needed it. What happened to that love that you had for me? What happened to that joy? God tells the, uh, the Ephesian church in the Revelations, you have lost your first love. Now, have you ever, do you remember when you first met your wife or a friend or like just a job? The joy that you had? The gladness that you were filled with? Do you remember that? You remember when you first met Jesus? When he filled your heart with joy? What happened to that? Where's the fire? Where's the passion? Now, we all struggle with that, right? But like I said, if you don't have joy in your worship, notice that it's a problem. It's a problem. Because God is filled with joy when his people worship him with joy. Obviously, God takes our joy very seriously when we worship him. He requires nothing less. And do you know why? Because he gives nothing less. He gives nothing less. 
The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he tells us, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame, the reproach, the pain. For the joy, now you might say, okay, so the joy was that he was pleasing his father, which is true. But do you know that you and I are the joy that was set before Jesus for which he endured the cross? He was inflamed with passion for you. And he went through great, he went through great suffering for you. And he's asking us to do exactly the same thing. But guess what? We have Jesus set before us. What can we not endure? Jesus is set before us. The king of glory. The one for whom the whole heaven and earth belong to. He came down, humiliated himself, became a child. Suffered under the hands of sinners for you and I. And he calls you to joyfully worship him. Because nothing less. He doesn't give anything less. He gives to his all. All he's asking to you is the same in return. To worship him with joy. To be filled with joy by him. And if you know, I mean, if, if, if you don't know, if you don't know this Lord, if you don't know this Christ, I want you to consider the things that bring you joy. And think about what happens when those things are gone. Consider the things that bring you joy in life. And what would it take for you to lose all that joy? Now, I don't mean to be morbid, but I want, I want you to consider staking your hope on Jesus, who is eternal. Try him. He will never fail you. He will never fail you. Actually, he already put you ahead of him. He actually already delights in you. See if it's true that he actually endured great suffering because he delights in you. And if you do know Jesus, and you know he's already made you his joy, I only ask you to consider him one more time. Let the joy that he has for you reciprocate the joy that you have for him. Let it bring it out. Let it outflow out of you. And if it's not, I want you to know that it's a problem, okay? It's a problem. Fight for joy in your relationship with the Lord. And here are some last practical applications, and then we're done. <laughs> um, encourage one another to fight for joy. If you see your brother and sister who's not joyfully worshiping, it's not just their problem. It's your problem, too. It's our problem. <laughs> Fight for joy in your marriage. Fight for joy in your relationships. 
Fight for joy in your communities. At work, at school, with your friends. Fight for joy. A lot of things around us are going to communicate to us that it's okay to be sad. It's not. (laughs) It's not okay to be sad in your relationship. Fight for joy. Okay? That's that we as Christians should be known for our joy. We should. We really should be known for our joy. We have Jesus Christ, the King of glory, set before us. What can we not endure? What can we not endure? Amen? We have the pearl of great price set before us. Let's endure the cross in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, you're good and your steadfast love endures forever and your faithfulness is from generation to generation. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have made us your delight. I ask that you would give us the power to make you our delight and to endure whatever comes our way. In Jesus' name, amen.